Today's reading is taken from Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God. With shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my force taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise to you, O Christ, King of eternal glory. I give you a new commandment, says the Lord. Love one another as I have loved you. Praise to you, O Christ, King of eternal glory. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. 
He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Friends, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray uh, for your spirit. We pray for him to uh, open eyes to the truth of your word. Open our ears to hear your voice. Open our hearts to uh, receive it as your word to us, a word for good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, gaze at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see afresh, I think, both his divine glory, uh, but also his divine humility. And we discover afresh that they are indeed two sides of one coin. He is both victor in the garden and he is victim. Indeed, he is the one who will be victorious as victim. Jesus walks before us through the valley of the shadow of death in order that he can walk it with us into the daybreak of Easter morn. There are two things I want to draw out from uh, this uh, scene in the garden and then into Psalm 42. And the first is this, Jesus conquers for us. That is the first thing I think we see in the garden. We see Jesus in all his divine glory conquering for us. We see the divine Son of Man remaining faithful under great emotional pressure to his calling to fulfill the will of his Father. Jesus is not a passive victim of these circumstances. He's not captive to the circumstances. He goes willingly. He goes under his own authority. He knows the betrayer is coming. He knows what awaits uh, for him. And yet he perhaps paradoxically goes submissively to the one will that is greater than his, his father's. The disciples would soon learn that their weakness, which of course is exposed by their inability to stay awake, their inability to keep watch even for a little while. And remember Peter had said that he would lay down his life 
for the Lord Jesus. Well, they soon discover that it must be Jesus who lays down his life for them. In Eden, the first man, Adam, was placed in a garden of ease. And there was one tree for him to avoid. If he ate of it, God said it would become a tree of death for all humanity after him. And disobedient, in disobedience, Adam, in fact, ate of that tree. In Gethsemane, the second Adam, as we've just sung, Jesus, is placed in a garden of trouble. And he knows there is one tree he is being commanded to climb. It is the tree of death. But in climbing it, it would become the tree of life for all who believe. And in obedience, Jesus sets his face towards it. The first Adam failed in the garden and plunged the world into darkness. The second Adam, as the perfect son, submits to the father in the garden and will thereby flood the world with light. And God's people will gather forever blessed in the great garden city that we read about in the book of Revelation in the new earth because God's true son was obedient in this garden and undid the curse of the first Adam's disobedience. Jesus conquers for us. We see his glory in his faithfulness. Secondly, we see his divine humility And his humility, particularly as we see it in his humanity displayed in the garden. Three things I want to draw out very briefly. Here's the first. Notice how Jesus uh, cries for us. He conquers for us and he cries for us. And that shows us first the extent of his love for us. We see in the garden not only the full extent of Jesus' humanity but also the costliness of redeeming love. My soul, he says, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. On the eve of his death, Jesus prays, and he prays as one who is going to his death betrayed by a friend, uh, will face his death abandoned by the rest of his disciples and friends, and will die the death of one cursed by his divine father. And so one can only imagine the turmoil and the desolation and the grief he must have been experiencing at this moment. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And the writer to the book of Hebrews reminds us that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. And this he did gladly for our sakes. This he did to befriend even us. And this he did that we might enjoy him forever. There were some who um, in the early days of the church struggled to, in a sense, accept that Jesus, being divine, could have felt this way. could have really felt anguish and sorrow and turmoil. And one of the great church fathers by the name of Ambrose uh, responded with these words, which I think are really uh, helpful. He said this, I not only do not think that there is any need of excuse, but there is no instance in which I admire more his kindness and his majesty. 
for he would not have done so much for me if he had not taken upon him my feelings. He grieved for me, who had no cause of grief for himself. And laying aside the delights of the eternal Godhead, he experiences the affliction of my weakness. I boldly call it sorrow, because I preach the cross. For he took upon him not the appearance, but the reality of incarnation. It was therefore necessary that he should experience grief, that he might overcome sorrow. The garden shows us Jesus' extent of his love for us. It shows us, uh, or it gives us, I should say, an example. Uh, It gives us an example of his suffering to us. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. It is striking, isn't it, that Jesus' response is wholeheartedly emotional. Uh, and, And it's an emotion that he is and he knows to be entirely appropriate to bring before his father. There's no cloaking it, no shielding it. He, he is free to engage with his God with loud cries. One writer said this, God doesn't call us to avoid or squash our emotions, as some suppose. Neither does he call us to embrace them unconditionally, as our culture often urges. Rather, he calls us to engage them by bringing our emotions before him, which is what Jesus does. Neither, of course, is it wrong to ask for relief from suffering. Jesus does. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. (coughs) Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Yet says Jesus. And in that word shows that he had ultimate trust and hope in the providential will of his father even in the garden of tears. The garden shows us the extent of his love for us. It gives us the example of his suffering to us. And finally, it gives us the encouragement of his suffering before us. Uh, Some have noted um, and believe that there is an illusion in Jesus' words about his soul and the anguish and turmoil, an illusion back to Psalm 42, which we had read to us a little earlier. And that would be no surprise because, of course, the Psalter uh, is the prayer book of the Old Testament and Jesus would have known it off by heart. He would have known it because in his humanity, he would have learned it. He would have learned it as a God-given way for a man or a woman of God to speak. To God. And he would have known it because he knew that the Psalms were written about him and were written for him. The Psalms, in some way, find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. In that sense, the Psalms are Jesus' prayers and Jesus' songs before they are our prayers or songs. And I think that's helpful and important to remember when we feel as if we are in a garden of tears, when we take the psalms of lament upon our lips because suffering has invaded our lives. I think Psalm 42 is about Jesus before it is about us. It's experienced by Jesus in its fullness before it's experienced by us. 
It's prayed by Jesus before it's prayed by us, and it is answered for Jesus before it is answered for us. And that I find comforting. Comforting when I'm caught in the middle of Psalm 42, when I'm perhaps experiencing the heartache but struggling to hope that God could indeed cause me to praise him as I did in sunny seasons. How does it comfort me? Well, first, because I am reminded that Jesus experienced the fullness of the heartache of Psalm 42. And therefore, as the writer to the Hebrews puts it, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, unable to sympathize, yet he was tempted in every way but did not sin. And secondly, it comforts me because not only did Jesus experience the fullness of the heartache, he experienced the fulfillment of the hope expressed in Psalm 42. For God strengthens his son in the garden. He raises his spirits that he might walk the way of his father before, of course, four days later, rising him, raising him from the dead to his right hand. And therefore he proves that the hope of the psalm is trustworthy for God's children, that the pattern of the psalm plays out. Jesus has walked the road of hope and hope vindicated, and he puts this psalm in our mouths when we are going through difficult seasons, and he puts his spirit in our hearts to reassure us that in him we too will be strengthened to hope and be empowered to praise our God in this life, in all its seasons, and fully and finally in the life to come. So Psalm 42 and the other psalms are psalms of lament, but they are more than psalms of lament. They are more than patterns to adopt. They are, I think, supremely promises to trust. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Yes, yes. Because Jesus was perfectly faithful and perfectly hopeful in the garden for us, to make us God's children. And as God strengthened Jesus to walk from the garden to glory, so he will strengthen his adopted children in every season of our journey of faith. Give us strength to walk the way of the Father in hopefulness and in praise. Amen.